Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers. Welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm with your co-host Paul Anderson here with guest host this week, Zig Bingham. Zig, how are you? I am very well, thank you very much. And I'm sitting by your wall of delight here. Your DVD collection, your Blu-ray collection, is um, magnificent. Well, thank you, sir. Much appreciated. It's fantastic. Um, so, well, this was going to be a test run, but <laughs> fuck it. Uh, we're starting. This is this is the show. So, Zig is right, joining no us. No pressure, then. So, yeah, no pressure at all. Sorry, Zig. I'll put you on the spot there. Um, so, yeah, Zig um, hosts something called Babylon Undead um, and has very kindly lent us his time this afternoon. Um, Zig, tell us a bit about yourself, uh, what Babylon Undead is. Uh, over to you, sir. Well, uh, well thank you for the for the invite. Ba- Babylon Undead, Undead is a new show. It's bi-weekly, so I'm going to be releasing stuff every fortnight. We've got one episode up there at the this moment. It's YouTube, sorry. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a YouTube thing. We've also got a blog as well, but it's mainly um, YouTube. So the show is... I get really frustrated with people saying there's crap on at the movies at the moment. No one's making any good movies. It's all shit, which is complete bollocks. It's not. <laughs> correct, there is great correct. film, right? Yeah. There, there's great film out there. So what I thought... And I used to work in a video shop for a wee while, and the, the biggest thing about working in the video shop that I really enjoyed was turning people onto movies so like someone would come in and ask to see something and you give them like a little nugget or something and they go off and they come back and you can see that something's changed in their mind and i've been reviewing films and you know i'm getting a little bit bored of being negative about so many films so i thought what i'll do is just be laser focused set up a youtube channel and talk about the films that i love that are outside of the hollywood mainstream they sort of some of them skirt the skirt around the edges i admit it's quite difficult to define sometimes because i think years and years years ago when we set up this podcast we were like oh maybe we'll when it was just the website me and pete were just like oh we'll just do alternative alternative but there isn't a fine there isn't a cut and dried no no it's not and a lot of these indie places are they make their films then they're picked up by the majors so yeah it's it's a fluid line shall we say but i'm trying to keep it to everything um from the year 2000 onwards, so like the last 20 years, uh, to now, basically. Um, and it's foreign language, English-speaking. It doesn't really matter what if it's cult film. It's biased because it's the movies I like. Um, and it's on YouTube at the moment. We don't have enough subscribers yet for me to give it a dedicated URL. <laughs> so, shameless plug, if you do want to uh, come and watch the show... Um, Come to our blog, which is www.babylonundead.video.blog, because I wasn't going to spend any money on a, a <laughs> individual URL, because I am a cheap sod. Uh, come to our website, and then all the links are from there. We host the show. So I there. think when when we spoke on the phone uh, earlier in the month about you coming on the show, I think you mm. you referenced like Movie Drone, I think, or Movie Drone was I think the BBC. That was a BBC thing a few years ago, wasn't it? Which I yeah, think many a... many years ago, I met Mark cousins i didn't know who he was because i grew up oh, wow. in new zealand so I, I i met him at a cinema I, I was running really nice guy we started chatting about movies he got on he gave me his book etc etc and from that i learned about movie drawing because we didn't get movie drawing in new zealand and so it definitely has that sort of flavor basically it, it is um an introduction to the finer things in cinema life <laughs> definitely not trying to be too egotistical about it but there, look there are good movies out there and i want people to to see good movies and that's what it is it's a positive um selection of great movies that and some of them you're not going to like i admit that some of them you're not going to like however hopefully it will open some doorways for people and that's what it's all about no and i think i think it's great to be honest and i think that the more people doing that the better because we were talking we were talking off mic about the fact that there's a prevalence of stuff on youtube it's like you can go everywhere and see like Oh well, do you need the end of Spider-Man explained? We can explain the end of Spider-Man to you. It's like no one needs the end of fucking Spider-Man explaining. Like, but there is there is hundreds, if not thousands, of response videos or reviews of Marvel films or reviews of Star Wars or this or this or this or this. But I in yeah. my experience, there's been a, a lack of content for more art house or indie stuff on YouTube. So well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. I don't think, well, I hope we don't like get too desperate that we start doing explaining the end of Annihilation videos. We're not, we're not going to go down that route. route. It's literally just if an introduction of that, the videos. you you're a better man than me. So. <laughs> 
No, I'm not going there. Look, if you need someone to explain the end of Annihilation, then quite frankly, you shouldn't watch the film. You yeah. need to go just watch the film and let the film explain itself. Have you read the Self-Enriched books? No, I haven't actually read the book. They're no, brilliant. Not yet. They are brilliant. The tri- it's a trilogy of books, weirdly enough. And um, uh, Alex Garland... It was only interested in adapting the first one, but if you haven't read the trilogy of books, they're really, really good. Oh, they were like, they like a tight three hundred pages as well, so you can smash okay. through them quite quickly. But they're really, really I good. Might, I might smash that pasty then. You should do. You should do for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've drifted from *Babylon <laughs> Dead* to *Annihilation*, which, weirdly enough, *Annihilation* was one of my favourite films of last year. So me yeah, too. I loved *Annihilation*. Yeah. So yeah, so that's a bit about what Zig does. So yeah, Zig has very kindly agreed to join us on the show. So welcome. Thank you for coming on. Thanks again. Thanks for um, the invite. To give you a bit of structure about what we're going to do on today's show, it's kind of the same format that yours do. So we are going to do what we've been watching, um, but because we've both watched quite a lot of the cinema recently, so we're going to do what we've been watching, which is going to be one film a piece, um, which we'll get to in a minute. And then we are going to do more in-depth reviews of in this order which we haven't decided on we're going to do it in this order we're going to go from the top we're going to go with peter strickland's latest release in fabric which i'm very 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 excited to talk about uh then we're going to roll into spider-man far from home and then we're go at the top of the show we're going to review another film that i'm incredibly excited to talk about um I'm wearing the T-shirt of his previous film, Ari Aster's Midsummer. Oh, we're not doing that gnome movie, that animated gnome movie. I thought we were doing that. We're not doing that. Uh, cut. <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing the animated gnome movie. Get I, out. If, Get you out wanna, now. if you want to come on for a future episode, maybe on the animated gnome movie no, special, please, you're more than welcome no. to come on. But yeah, so that'll be that'll be the structure of the show. Uh, we'll be back after this very brief interlude with what we've been watching. So Zig, you've seen a film that I couldn't get to, which I'm quite frustrated about. What is it, and what did you think? Okay, this is a. Uh, I want to talk about Anna. Actually, this is a 2019 mystery crime thriller drama in the mold of uh, Nikita Leon. It's from Luc Besson. Sort of, it, it feels like he's kind of licking his wounds a little bit um, <laughs> since Valerian, which I personally liked, uh, had some major issues. I, I will. Definitely admit to that. I'm with you. I liked it. But, 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 yeah, but problems. Yeah, yeah, problems. We can get to that later, <laughs> maybe after some more ciders. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, this is this is a fairly low-budget action thriller. The premise is very, very straightforward and simple. Uh, Anna is a high-class model, fashion model in 90s Paris by day. And by night, she's an assassin that goes around and assassinates people for the KGB. And then later the uh, CIA so you've got both sides sort of playing off against okay. her the um, it sort of snowballs into a story of that uh, she's got the uh, the KGB controlling her and they promised her a five-year contract basically and they don't deliver on that they just they say you know you you leave when we tell you you leave and then yeah. and it's going to be in a body bag and then the CIA approach her and say listen there's a way out we can offer you a way out. Obviously, she doesn't believe either side and decides to play either side off each other. And that's when the fun and games ensues. But basically, it's a coat hanger for an excuse for a lot of jumping around, shooting, um, John Wick-esque style action. There's a little bit of that. There's definitely a bleed through with that. But if you've seen Leon, if you've seen Nikita, if you've seen Transporter, it's that sort of wheelhouse. Not exactly the same, but it's, you're in the same room, basically. Is it any good? <laughs> That's the question. Because for me, Besson has wobbled a bit of late. I think the last Besson film that I saw that I genuinely thought was great was Angela or Angel A. Angel, yeah, how do you say that? Angel A? Yeah, Angel well, A? I think the way it's the way it seems to be good is a capital A on the end of it. Yeah. I'm going to go Angel A, I think. Mm. Um, which took me by surprise. And I think Besson, when I was certainly at, uh, when I was at college, like Luke Besson... I think film my film studies A level introduced me to Luke Besson and I was just like, Oh my fucking god. Yeah, yeah. I love these guys. Yeah, I love yeah. this guy's films. Like Nikita's incredible. Leon is, is the is the big hitter. Um Fifth of course. Element. But like Subway, Fifth Element is just one of my yeah. probably my yeah. second favourite space opera to Star Wars, to be honest. That's I absolutely love the Fifth That's Element. I think it's an incredible okay. film. And Subway is great. Yeah. Um and then he fell off a cliff for me, to be honest. He started producing what I describe as Euro Trash action. Um like started producing taken. Like that. I'm gonna nick that like, for my podcast. Yeah, Euro trash action. action. Yes. Yeah, I think you. it's a fair comment. <laughs> no, um, he kinda he kinda fell he fell away from me to be honest, in terms of in terms of what mm. I, I don't think he was 
I think he got lazy. I think he got quite happily sat on a producer's seat and didn't do much. So, yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. I think it falls into that sort of category, really. It is, um, it is, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It, it, this is not a Luc Besson art piece. This is a Luc Besson, I want some money. I need to recoup some of my losses from Valerian, basically. Um, I mean, it's cost him 30 million to make, and it's made back in the States basically three. I think three million at the moment. Right. So it's not going to do very well. Might do better over here. But again, I think there are really good Luke Besson films, but this one feels like something has been uh, lost in the translation somewhat. This is, um, how can I say it? It's, it's fine. It's entertaining. It knows what it is. It doesn't mess with it too much. It know, it, it gets on and does it. Uh, the lead actress is not the best actress in the world, but he directs her very well. He okay. uses her in a really good and appropriate manner. He knows what her limitations are, and he knows what his limitations are. However, I would have liked to have seen a bit more Leon, a little bit more Nikita, right. okay. a little bit more Angela. I, it doesn't it doesn't reach those heights. It is more it's more Taken Two than Taken One. Okay. It's more Transporter Three than Transporter Two, and it's no mechanic. It's, it's a shame because I, yeah. I, what's happened to Luc Besson then? I don't understand because like Cinema de Luc, Cinema de Luc was <laughs> there. We yeah. go, there we go. Film studies. I remember Cinema de Luc was pioneered by Besson. That, that was a thing, wasn't like, it? That was a thing. That was an actual yeah, thing. 100%, yeah, hundred percent. I haven't just made that up. That was no, a, that was a hundred percent. Google it. Yeah, Boys Google it. It's actually it. a thing. And he was like one mm. of the shining lights of European cinema, without a yeah. shadow of a doubt. Like he he managed he managed to take. Hollywood, Hollywood blockbuster sensibility, and then fucking put an incredible art house look to it, and made some of the finest, some some truly incredible action films. And he seems to be doing um, sort of. There's a certain renaissance uh, in France around his films and around his his studio that he set up in in Paris. There seems to be. Um, I mean, he's making money. He's certainly <laughs> making an industry for French films that are selling around the world that perhaps wasn't happening before Luc Besson turned mm. up he has certainly embraced the commerciality of his films and he has he's made that work but I think he's lost a little bit of the art in the process and that's yeah. a shame for me that's a shame because as you say Cinema de Luc like, like Subway is a beautiful film Subway. everything from Subway yeah. all the way yeah, up yeah. to Fifth Element yeah. it's fantastic and even Valerian I mean it's a there's some Valerian, great Valerian moments could have been that, that yeah. the, the one particular set piece in Valerian where they're halfway between the virtual world and the real world yeah. is just incredible Ugh. and like Valerian looked great but is this would you say then that uh, what's Anna is kind of like with Valerian, I felt like he was trying to revisit the glories of Fifth Element Absolutely, and fell yeah. short. Yep. Is he kind of fallen? Sh- is he tried to revisit Nikita and fallen short here? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think he hasn't quite. There's something missing. I don't know what it is. Is something getting lost in the translation? Is he not following through on the script enough? If is he not working on it enough? Is he just coming back and licking his wounds? I don't know. I'm. I don't. It. It's so close. It's so close. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you're nearly there. But it's not terrible. I enjoyed myself and I had a good time in the movie. And as I say, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's... But fine is not not a word you want to ascribe to a Luke Besson film, is it? There's other films that you go, oh, it's okay to say it's fine. Look, Luke Besson's fine is much better than good for a lot of people. Okay, look, like I actually... Oh, this is going to be controversial. I probably had as much fun for different reasons in this film as I did with Spider-Man. Okay, we'll get to that. But, yeah. but there's, there's a controversial reason for that. We'll talk to that later. But yeah. Um, look, if you like Transport, if you like those kind of movies, it's going to be fine. It's going to be absolutely scenes. fine. The action scenes are really well put together. Okay, there's, so there's, that. There's, there, that. There, there's one or two pieces where you think, oh, she's dodging bullets. That's terrible. Right. But she's a really good fighter. She reminded me of Tricia Helfer okay. from Battlestar Galactica. She's yep. got that sort of movement and that poise about her. Um, and there's probably going to be... Galactica's a whole conversation we're going to have after this. Yeah. I fucking love that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, go on. <laughs> So uh, now I'm totally thrown off. What was that? Tricia Helfer. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like the 
the sequel to this is the two of them teaming up and going off. I, okay, you know what like Michael Bay does? He gets a really good actor, puts it in a movie, but it's like a prop. I've got an actor here. Yeah. That's my special effect. Yeah. It's like Luke Besson doing that, right? Okay, which is a shame because he know he clearly knows how yeah. to work with actors. He's got yeah. this lead actress that's perhaps not the best actress in the world. He's got some models that don't really know Parallel, how to act. Parallel, they just Nikita, it's an incredible performance. Uh, it where yeah. Amparo's performance kind of takes Nikita above yeah. the standard action action yeah. thriller genre, for example. Absolutely, and it's, and fa- it's that's another thing you should mention as well. Like Nikita looks beautiful. The cinematography yeah. and that, and then Leon is fantastic. The cinematography in this is just boring, it's flat. Shape. Yeah, it's just. And they've got that thing, a car skids around the corner, and there's about 15 takes of a car skidding oh, around wow, a corner, oh, wow. Just which is rubbish. Just but then in some of the fight scenes, some of the fight scenes, they they move back, and she might hit someone three or four times, and then they'll cut. But it's not to the same degree as, as John Wick, no. where they just let the camera rest and they have to do the thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, fine, good. That's about the best that I can say about it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Don't I, I enjoyed it, but I expect more but from expect, Luke Besson. Yeah, hundred yeah. Like if he was the if I had a class for kids, he's the kid, the underachiever. Must try harder, yeah. Must try harder. Yeah. yeah. He's not like the yeah. dumb one he'd make. Like in the, fir- in the yeah. first in the first year you excelled. Yeah. And in year eleven you failed. I expect this kind of thing <laughs> yeah. from Michael Bay. I yeah. don't expect this from you, Luke. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um so I watched um, a film, Apollo 11, a documentary um, about the moon landing, weirdly enough, as it's called Apollo 11. Um, I didn't really, I'd, I'd seen some really good reviews of this. I didn't really know what to expect going in. Um, and what I got absolutely blew me away. So this is a documentary about the moon landing, as I've said, uh, directed by a guy called Tog, Todd Douglas Miller, who is a man I have no experience with at all before. Um, and this is um, basically a documentary composed entirely of uh archive footage of the moon landing so what i didn't realize is there was at the time of the moon landing there's some incredible like large format 70 mil film shot of of the saturn rocket taking off of the moon landing it like they've they've cut together all of the video recordings of the moon landing itself there's some incredible footage of the crowds gathering as the saturn rocket was going to take off as the mission was taken off from from cape canaveral like it's just incredible like and this is 70 mil yeah, some of it is, is 70 mil footage that has been painstakingly restored up to 4K at this point. Okay. And oh my word, is this film fantastic. Oh, that like, sounds great. I have never, I, I have never, I can honestly say I've never been so excited watching a documentary <laughs> than I was when I was watching this. Like, And a, a lot of it comes down to um, the score, which is by a guy called Matt Morton. It's just an incredibly exciting film score. Um and there is just just to make this clear, there is no f- footage filmed for this. This is all cut together from archive footage. There's okay. no talking heads. There's nothing. It's just all archive footage. You get to see you get seeing some incredible footage of the astronauts on the bus on the way to the rocket, for example, like actual footage of Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. Like it's just fantastic. So where does the story like, start from? Like so how the does story, the film open? The the film the film basically opens where the moon land is happening the, the film basically opens on crowds of people around cape carnival cape canaveral um there's because there's the there's the cape around it where uh-huh. you can see the rockets from yeah. and there's like people with camper vans like people have been that you get the impression people have been there for days that's oh, kind wow. of where the film opens and then it cuts to then it cuts to the control room um and you see, and it's actual footage from the control room so you see all the NASA engineers and that kind of thing then it cuts to actual footage of the astronauts getting into the bus going to the rocket and it's just fantastic. Like it's just so so well put together. Like it's a narrative film. Like, okay. Although it's a documentary, it's a narrative film. I know we've talked about on this show before about how it's important about how you can say what you like about true to life documentaries, but documentaries need to have a structure that makes them entertaining. Otherwise, no one would watch them. They have to have that structure. And my God, does this have this structure? It's up there with one of the most exciting sci-fi films I've seen. Full stop. <laughs> documentary or not, because you have like. It's so exciting because you see, like, so that when they're when they're launching, you've got them telling the resting heart rate. I think Buzz Aldrin of when it launched was eighty eight. Blimey, his heart rate was eighty eight when they launched to go to the moon. I was like, that is a man in peak physical shape. Jeez. Like that is insane. And it's little things like that. And then you have, and then there's a whole shot of a camera taken from the actual moon lander, from the actual moon lander, and you have like a ten minute sequence where you're just watching them trying to adjust the moon lander to get oh, onto the moon. Oh, wow. But because it's real, it's just like, this is fantastic. 
and it's just and it, it's the kind of thing that yeah in the wrong hands it could have gone wrong but in these hands it's just fantastic to watch so sort of documentary cool. wise would you place that next to like an amy or Senna, sort of. Weirdly enough, I've never seen Amy or Senna. Oh, okay. Because I've got very little interest in either <laughs> of those people. I talked about this director. Is it Asif Kapoor? Yeah. I've talked about Asif Kapoor the other day, and he's made Maradona recently. And I'm just like, I wish he'd make a documentary about someone that was interested in. Because <laughs> then I might watch it. I've heard really good things about these. I would he's say... Good. I haven't seen the Maradona, but Senna and No, uh, I, I've, I've heard they're very, good, very yeah. good. In terms of in terms of documentaries, I'd say it's up there with, with the best documentaries I've seen, for sure. Okay. Um, it's up there with something like The the, in terms of the excitement, it's up there with the imposter. In terms of how oh, they, wow, in, okay. in fact, the, in fact, the imposter is quite a good comparison because they structure the imposter into like this almost unachievable narrative piece of narrative uh-huh. filmmaking. And Apollo Eleven does the same thing. And obviously, there is an A to B narrative because yeah. they launch the they launch the spaceship and then they land on the moon. But it's just so well done. And whoever, and it must have been so painstaking to restore this footage to 4k but it just looks incredible that's amazing that's like, amazing it is, so it's... definitely so I, i'm get i i might be misreading this you quite liked it uh, no i hated it <laughs> <laughs> no i it blew me away it blew me away and i have to say it was the second time in my life and the second time this year i had a cinema screen all to myself oh that's lush where were you uh, the Tivoli in Bath. So uh, hopefully they keep. I've mentioned this before. Please keep showing uh, indie <laughs> cinema guys because I'll come. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is there. But yeah, no, one hundred percent. If you get a chance to see this, it's an incredible achievement. It's like I don't think I'll ever need to see another documentary about the moon landing now because basically you watch the moon landing. That's what this film does. And like there's, like there's there's a particular shot where you see the Saturn launching rocket split away from the moon vehicle itself. And you see oh, wow. it, and it's just incredibly, it's just so well done. And it, I think in the current political climate, I think it's just what I needed to see to go, look, when we're not all bickering amongst ourselves in this current horrible climate of Brexit and Trump and <laughs> fucking Russia and just shit, yeah. this current it, awful international climate, look at what we can do. Look course, at what the human race is actually capable yeah. of. We fucking landed on yeah. the moon. like, and it, Yeah, and we did. And the other thing that's weird about it as well, it... Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And weirdly, I'd say it's as well made as any Kubrick film. I just put that out there. <laughs> the footage is that good, actually. There might be some. There might be some weight to the Kubrick theory. But no, it's just. But in, in some ways, it's sad because in some ways, it feels like I'm watching a film about the future. Because this was all the way back in 1969 that we. Yeah. The, and then, like, space travel has just ground to a halt in terms of massive not ground to a halt that's unfair we've landed people on comments don't get yeah. me wrong we've done some incredible achievements but man man flight is but, definitely dragged. yeah man flight is yeah. definitely but it almost feels like you're watching a science fiction film but then you think back going no, i'm watching something from 1969 yeah. this is bonkers yeah no incredible incredible documentary and i would be very surprised if it's not sitting somewhere up the top of my films of the year, oh, wow. of the year. Okay. So, yeah. no very 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 track, high price have to that, track so. that down then yeah, definitely, definitely. It's yeah. nowhere local to me at the moment, but uh, I'll keep my eyes open for yeah, that one. Yeah, you should. And it's definitely on a big screen as well, hundred percent. If you can find this on a big screen, guys, see it on a big screen because it's all large format film stock. So yeah, well worth it. Well worth it. Um, right. Well, that's the end of what we've been watching. We'll be back after this. What order did we say we were doing it in? Uh, didn't we say End Fabric and then In Fabric Spider Man and then Midsummer? And Midsummer. Yeah. yeah. So we'll be back after yeah. this with a review of In Fabric. Right. Okay, so we're back. Uh, In Fabric is a 2018 horror comedy film, or this is what uh, Wikipedia says. Um, Yeah, yeah, it definitely blurs the lines between horror and comedy. Directed by uh, Peter Strickland, who um, was was new to me. Um, We'll talk about that later. It stars Marianne Jean-Baptiste, Hayley Squires, Leo Beale, Gwendolyn Christie. It is the story of a dress that is haunted or possesses the spirit of its dead model and that dress goes on to haunt and terrorize its owners uh, initially which is mary jean baptiste uh, she buys she's a disgruntled housewife basically her husband's left her a son doesn't give a damn he's screwing some older lady who who's very almost apathetic. unrecognizable Gwendolyn Christie. To be yeah, she's she's uh she's a bit moody. She's a bit moody in this. So yeah, yeah, she turns and um she's persuaded by a a a 
assistant in the shop who looked but basically this seems to be set in the 70s late 70s early I, 80s I so, yeah. it's a weird so mix. kind of like the height of the height of department stores being the it, epicenter it is of the it, town, is, of, it is very much really, a debenhams yeah. sort of yeah. high store and it's creepy and it's just weird looking although the fashion and the technology tends to overlap it's, uh, itself having been been a kid of the 70s and 80s um yeah there's a mash there and all the so she goes to a department store she goes to a department mary jean baptiste goes to a department store looking for dresses and she finds this red dress that's on display that almost sings to her and the assistant comes up and she's very weird creepy witch-like assistant persuades her to buy this red dress sort of against her wishes she buys the red dress and takes it home and wears it out for a, a date that she has with a man another disinterested man but she get, she gets a little rash on her, and from that rash, um, things happen. I don't want to say too much about this because no, it's, it because it's a bit, no, it, it's a very spoilery film, and quite frankly, doesn't well, make a lot of sense. Before you say too much, we, let's have a yeah. clip. Touch it. Feel it here. May I interest you in other desired supposes in our exclusive boutique? I'm fine for now, thank you. Then I would like you to announce your locus of residence, followed by the numbers to your telephone. So, yeah, so you said, before we get to the film itself, you said this was your first Peter Strickland experience. Yes, okay. I ha people have <laughs> recommended films, uh, his films to me before, and this was... Uh, it, it was baptism by fire, shall we say, <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, uh, I fell in love with the man straight away. Basically, it's it's an incredible film. I love David Lynch, David Cronenberg, um, and this is this this is kind of like this, but then totally not like them at all. It's a very much like a throwback to tales of the unexpected. Yeah. Those sort of little vignettes of uh, twisty stories, like uh, Inside Number Nine. It's got that sort of flavour to it. Okay, yeah, I can see that. It looks like it's shot in sixteen mil edited on vhs um and then put back up on the big screen it's got it looks beautiful the cinematography is fantastic really does look like a period piece that was shot in the early 80s late 70s um the costume is is just fantastic the performances are really weird um some of the actors are acting really well are fantastic and some of the actors are acting really badly I think that is definitely on purpose. Oh, there, sure, yeah. there is a way that he's playing with the actors and their performances and 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 mixing different styles. So well, like I mean, the witchy characters. Let's, take, let's yeah. take two of the two of the highlights of this, okay. um, which is Steve Aram and Julian Barrett as the bank managers. Oh <laughs> my gosh! Like, so for me, if you oh, put Steve Aram and Julian Barrett yeah. together, then yeah. I'm basically put Julian yeah. Barrett in anything, yeah. and I'm on board. But Steve Aram, uh, you will know probably know from Sightseers. Um, like he's fantastic. <clears throat> the two of them, yeah, like as you say, it's, certain people yeah. are definitely overplaying it. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, they're playing very, very much the sort of mighty <laughs> boosh comedy sort of aspect yeah. of it, which almost seems out of place. But then she's still acting, Mary, uh, Mary John Baptiste. She's called into the office where they have a meeting, and she's, she, she's still in her film. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's still, still in her it film. Completely yeah, straight, yeah. Which, so which, it makes everything feel really uncomfortable. But it does. I think the whole thing, and what's what's what is different from this film to say uh, Bavarian Sound Studio or Duke of Burgundy, for example. Uh, I haven't seen Captain Vargas, so I can't comment on that one. But I've not seen Strickland really play it for comedy before. Um, and I think with a film with this subject matter that is just fundamentally silly, it's yeah. a haunted dress at the end yeah. of the day. I don't think you could help but to play it for comedy. But I'm, I'm with you. What I quite liked is that he, I think it was a deliberate choice where he had certain people playing it straight and other people playing it for comedy, which for me created this really eerie atmosphere about the film. Like the yeah. film had like uh, a sense of the unheimlich with a shadow, without a shadow, without that. Like there was, there was just something, it was just odd. There was an odd atmosphere, but it, it was uncomfortable, but it, but it didn't feel forced. Good it just, it yeah. worked. And I think that yeah, was yeah. as much built by the actors as it was by the direction and the script in terms of, of people playing off each other. Um, 
my one one question I have for you is when it veers away from uh, Marianne Jean Baptiste character. Yeah. 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 Now, what did you think of it? Because I thought, okay, basically, so it, without too many trying, we generally try and avoid spoilers on the show, but it veers in a different direction. It veers off to a different character about halfway through. Yeah, definitely. And and I had concerns initially. What did you think? What did you think about it veering to a different character? I, I'm still I'm still in sort of two camps about that. Really, I could. I understand why there is a, why it veers off without spoilers. I understand why the story does that, but Mary Jean Baptiste was so good, and her story just felt like it was just starting. Yeah. and I wanted more of her and that situation. Read an interview with him the other day. I think he had five different story arcs in mind initially. Oh my god! I gosh. think it was supposed to be shorter sort of vignettes oh, okay. about, and then the the, the dress, the, the haunted yeah. dress, was the was the the, the the linchpin that held it all together. That so, makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, I, 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 it took me. I'll be honest. I wobbled a bit in the middle when it did change character, but I liked the fact it went even weirder when it did change to yeah, yeah. the when it yeah. did change to the what was the character at this point? So he was like the husband that had been made He's, to wear the dress on a stag do. Yeah, he was <laughs> a a, a, um, a technician of of whiteware, wasn't he? Yeah. Like washing machines and yeah. fridges and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, with a boss that's <laughs> just straight out of EastEnders, like yeah. some kind of bit. Pitbull asshole, basically. Yeah, that does, he's great. I don't know who he is, but he's fine. <laughs> he scared the shit out of me. Like just like any, anyone in a V-neck tank top, like a V-neck jumper, uh, eating people's uh, business cards or whatever. That's just I. It doesn't sound scared. It's it's scary. It's amazing. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm still. It's a weird film. It messed with my head. It totally spun me around, and I'm still sort of. I'm processing it and still thinking about it and images keep coming back and, and for me that's the hallmark of a good film if it's if it's there messing with my head and if I've walked out initially when I walked out of the film I didn't know even what I'd watched I was like no. exhausted got to get some air go for a walk have a think about it I actually did do a quick review of it which is the most incoherent review I've ever done in my <laughs> life uh, but it, sum, it sums up the film but no, 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 and I think you're right. And I think the the, yeah, the incoherence and the fact that I'm still thinking about it now is, is great. And I think what what was interesting for me is so if you watch if you watch Bavarian Sound Studio, for example, like his Strickland's influence influences definitely the Giallo films, mm-hmm. like the Italian Giallo films, without a shadow of a doubt. And this, if you if they're here for all to see, like there's a big Suspiria thing with going on with this. So again, trying to avoid yeah, spoilers. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a big Suspiria vibe to this. And I thought it was interesting that he played... Like, sometimes you find with watching the earlier Jello films is that some of them are so clumsily shot and clumsily made that you find yourself unwittingly laughing at the fact you've got this clumsy black glove that comes in the scene <laughs> that ultimately is was never meant to be funny in those Jello films. Yeah. However, what I think he's done really well here is kind of play... Uh, whether he's done this deliberately or not, I don't know, but this is what I took from it. He's kind of taken those Jello conventions and made them seem a bit silly. Um, yeah. Not yeah, yeah. not that he's disrespecting the genre in any way, because if you said if you look back to Bavarian Sound Studio, he's not. He's clearly a big fan of the Jello films, as am I. But he's played the sillier elements more up for comedy and made this a more outlandish, outlandish horror comedy. Well, than... I was in a, I was in a screen full of people. It's funny you said that. I was in a screen full of people, and there were times we were all laughing in unison, and the times we weren't because yeah. we didn't know what we were laughing yeah. at. You know, it, it is one of those films you don't know exactly what you should be laughing at and what you shouldn't be. <laughs> and sometimes you laugh at stuff, and halfway through laughing, it turns nasty, and you realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't be laughing at this, and you question well, we'll your, your, your own views. We'll get to on that this. with Midsummer <gasps> later, but yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, as I said, this this is my introduction to Peter Strickland. I have now become a new fan. Um, after this, the first film on my list is basically uh, Barbarian Sound Studio, and then you've given me a list of films to go off and watch as well. So I'm going to have to go off and um, inundate myself. But this man is a genius. He's a lunatic. Yeah, absolutely. but he's a, he, yeah, he's a complete genius. I'm to- I'm absolutely, totally, I love totally him. with you. Love him. And yeah, right. And again, it's very easy to say this film won't be for everyone. It won't be. Um, <laughs> and there'll be people tuning into this that are tuning in for the Spider-Man review. This film might not be for you. Yeah, um, maybe it's, not. No, of all, it's it's niche. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but if you are a fan of batshit off the wall horror films and have any interest in giallo films or that kind of thing, then you know absolutely get on board. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed uh, In Fabric. I thought it was great. Um, ditto, ditto. Yeah. Go see it. 
have your mind messed with severely. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> right, we'll be back after this with a chat about Spider-Man Far From Home. You couldn't get much farther from in fabric than Spider-Man Far From Home, but Spider-Man, we're doing it next. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. So, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, now, Endgame. I'm going to talk about Endgame a bit here before we get into Spider-Man. I know everyone talks about Marvel a lot, and we've bemoaned people talking about Marvel a lot, but Spider-Man Far From Home has come out, and it is ultimately <sighs> the next film after Endgame. So, for me, I could have done with a break Sorry, after Endgame. Sorry, that, that, that side was like, do no, we have fair to? Enough. Okay. No, fair enough. No, fair enough, and I'm, 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 I'm with yeah. you. I'm with you. Um, for me, I could have done with a good four or five year gap between Endgame and another Marvel film. Now, that, and that, that's not to yeah. say I'm not a fan of the Marvel films because I enjoy them for what they are, and I don't hate them, and I enjoyed Endgame enough. But for me, it closed off the story so well. I was just like, right, let's have a break and let's see what they come back with in four or five years' time. That never occurred to me until you mentioned that, and that is genius. That's exactly what they should have done. Yeah, because exactly it, because Endgame closed off that story arc yeah. so well, and I was just like. Is the Marvel film really this good? Oh, it was. Like, <laughs> like, it actually was really yeah. good. It wasn't just, yeah. oh, it was okay. Endgame was good. Like, hands down, I enjoyed Oops. Endgame. Um, so, yeah, which leads us to Spider-Man Far From Home, which is the the final film of the MCU Phase 3. That is correct. Um, which, to me... Yeah. So, uh, basically, so I've come into this thinking why have they released this now is this is this really is this really necessary do we need another marvel film this 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 close to endgame um with that context aside so spider-man far from home it takes place after the events of endgame um where after the snap after the snap that thanos made some people have come back to life five years older some people haven't spider-man uh peter parker has decided he needs a holiday uh and goes to europe with his schoolmates for his supposed to be an incredible school trip uh whilst he's away um some a, a massive threat appears what <laughs> who saw that coming uh some elementals basically uh are, are, are attacking the earth and um a mysterious figure turns up played by jake gyllenhaal uh who saves the day um, who saves the day and spider-man ends up helping him out i think is i think i've got there with the plot could i, I yeah no no, no, no but... I, I, yeah that's that's it I don't sound enthusiastic at all, do I? <laughs> no, no, fair enough. Uh, before oh, we get sorry. to before we get to what we thought, uh, which you might have an idea of, uh, here's a clip. You look really pretty. Therefore, I have value. No, no, that's not what I meant at all. I was just. I'm messing with you. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You look pretty too. Oh my gosh, opera glasses! So cute. Can I? Want to go in on a pair? You mean let's sit next to each other? Yeah. Parker, are you in position? No. Okay, no. Why the hell you not? don't want to sit next to me here. No, you, you just don't want to take us. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I, uh, uh, if you go ahead, I'll go grab us a pair. So, so what did you think about it? As, as you were already on a roll, so. It was fine. <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah. it was fine. Like I love, I love Tom Holland as Spider Man. I think he's great. Um, I think he's very, very charismatic, and I'll, he was basically, I think, the main reason that I went to see this. I think it would have been any other, if it had been a Doctor Strange or something like that, then actually I'm lying, and I do a podcast, I'd have gone to see this film regardless. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so Tom Holland brought me back in because he's, he's charismatic to watch. Um, but this just felt like an also-ran Marvel film, and much the same way as I felt about Ant-Man and Wasp, this just felt like a massive anticlimax. So Ant-Man and Wasp came out after Infinity War mm-hmm. and just felt like a nothing film. This, to me, felt quite a lot like a nothing film. Um, I hear that. As, as, a, as a piece of popcorn entertainment, it, it looks pretty. Some of the effects are good. Um, we're going to talk spoilers here because I think we need to talk spoilers. So there's spoilers. Yes. there is spoilers from this point onwards. Um, the Mysterio character just didn't work for me. Jake Gyllenhaal is a fine actor. I like him. Uh, I'd probably fancy him. He's a, he's a, he's a handsome enough man. <laughs> I've got a man crush on Jim I've got a man crush on Jim Hill, which, to be fair, if you're going to have a man crush on anyone, I think uh, that's it's acceptable. Pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. i got to say um, mine's Keanu, but yeah, you know, we've all no, got one. Enough. We've all got yeah. one. Um, and he's you know, he's a capable actor, and I thought, right, this could be interesting. He's not really done much, he's not really done much superhero stuff before. He did Prince of Persia, but you know, he's, it's, it's, it's interesting to it's see. It's interesting casting, kind of role, yeah. definitely. It's definitely interesting casting. Yeah, yeah. 
And then you get him as Mysterio, who is initially lined up as to be a hero, and then Kel mm. fucking surprise. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> He's mm. the villain. In, we saw that coming. In just yeah, in just the most obvious the most obvious plot twist in the world where um just like why bother? Yeah. Like, everyone yeah. knows Mysterio is the villain. Everyone knows Mysterio is a Mike Spider Man villain going into this. So even yeah. why bother making him making him the, the supposed hero at the beginning? And and at which point why did he how he, he so easily convinced Peter Parker that he was a good guy that Peter Parker hands over these glasses that Tony Stark has apparently made that let him control all of Tony Stark's tech in the whole universe. Yeah, yeah. I, and he I, just I, hands it off and then suddenly, oh shit, he's the villain. Just lazy. Yeah, just I think I, th- I think I think the yeah, you hit nail on the head. The the issue for me was definitely it's Mysterio. There's no mystery that he's a bad guy. No, like, no, and, not it, at all. and quite frankly, out of all the Spider-Man villains, he's oh, he goes so boring. I like, ugh. yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're gonna do Mysterio, then and if you're gonna play that angle, you need another villain who's a strong villain that you think is the actual villain. Yes. Like I thought. And my own bias is coming in that one of the element was going to be Sandman or something like that, and he was going to have a personality uh, see, or something. Been, that would have been. And I thought we were going to spin yeah, it that yeah, way, yeah. and then, and but then this film just literally becomes okay. When's he going to turn evil? Like, what yeah. what's the play here? Is he going to be banged on the head? Is he going to be an alternate dimension yeah. mysterious stab him in the back, or is he he doing a scam? And by the time you think, oh, he's doing a scam. The scam happens, but then the other my other yeah. problem with with Mysterio as a villain is not necessarily Mysterio as a villain, but the way and we were talking about this off air. Like the one thing I remember and that I the Saw franchise. This film reminded me of the Saw franchise, where suddenly it gets to Saw three and Jigsaw's dead, and you're like, oh, you've got the literally the least charismatic villain in the world, Hoffman. I've no yeah. idea why I remember the Saw villain's name, <laughs> but it is Hoffman. And suddenly they do clips oh, where they God. cut back and go, oh no, Hoffman was there in the background all along. But this right. Spider-Man yeah. fucking Homecoming, no, Far From Home, sorry, does it so clumsily where you're supposed to believe that Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio character worked for Tony Stark the entire time and, we and never has been saw in the him. background. And they do these really clumsy shots of previous films where it just then cuts to him zoomed in. It was like, oh, there's Mysterio. He's been here the whole time. I was just squinting. Just lazy. <laughs> just lazy. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong, if Mysterio had been a character that had been in all of the other Marvel films... And then all you'd seen in the trailer was just Mysterio with his helmet on, and this character that had been in all twenty other Marvel films was then revealed as Mysterio. I'd have been totally yeah. on board for that. That would have been wicked. Yeah, yeah. Rather, and this is not the first time they've retconned people in. I'm sure they retconned Guy Pearce's character into Iron Man three, if I'm otherwise mistaken. Oh my god, I even forgot about um, Guy Pearce. That's how forgetful yeah. some of these movies are. Yeah, yeah. So, but they just lazily retconned yeah. him into the previous films, and I and. I'm going to quote my sister here. I'm going to quote my sister here. She phoned me up. She was like, I fucking hated it. I hated it. She was like, they talked about oh, alternative okay. dimensions. They, uh, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I'll be I didn't honest, hate but, it. I didn't hate it. But yeah. her point was, they've, they've talked about alternative dimensions. They've done this and they've done that. And the best they can do is disgruntled former Tony and Stark employee. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I mean, it was quite a nice twist. It wasn't multiple dimensions. Um, it just felt like, yeah, you said sore. I say uh, Forrest Gump. You know, like <laughs> when you're thinking Forrest Gump yeah. in the middle of a Marvel movie, you know something's not quite right, don't yeah. you? You know, you yeah. half expect someone to run. I really thought that part of the joke would be someone like one of the florists running and they'll go, run, florist, run, yeah. florist. <laughs> like, it, it's just, look, it's fine, isn't it? It's entertaining. My, my it's good is, fun. Yeah, it's fine. And yeah. right. Positives. I thought the I thought the uh, the mid film Mysterio set piece was fantastic. Yeah. Um, when he's proper toying with Spider-Man's perceptions, I yeah. thought that was really, yeah. really, really well put together, and I yeah. like that side of it. And of course, it looks great, and the action scenes, the action scenes deliver. Look, Marvel know what they're doing at this point. Yeah, but it's, it, but it is just fine. It is just another Marvel film. It's got that's that just fine. It's got that TV formulaic. It's another episode in another long chain of 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 movies, which are basically, like you know what. Like, Cinema is becoming, I shouldn't say this because it's not true. That's the whole point of my podcast. It's not. <laughs> but what I'm saying, like mainstream cinema is becoming more like old 80s TV. Mm. And TV is becoming more like old 90s cinema. You know, one's becoming a bit dull, formulaic, by the book. There's no real consequences. I mean, no one's really going to die because no. we need them for the next seven movies. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, TV is going like crazy and trying new crazy things. This is, I can't, 
I, f- I find it hard to say I hated this movie because I don't hate this movie. I enjoyed I'd it almost thoroughly. Rather, I'd almost rather I hated it than just come out yeah. going, it was yeah. fine. I would like... <laughs> I would like something to really hate on this movie to like hang my hat on, but there's not. It's just fine, and it's this is this is where we get back to Anna. I actually enjoyed Anna more because I didn't quite know what was going on. Um, what one of the things I didn't talk about was the narrative structure of Anna. Anna tells its story in an interesting way. That's something it does, okay. which this story doesn't do. This no. is just a straightforward linear story. One thing that Anna does is kind of bounce back upon itself like a matriosca doll. Um, so it's stories within stories within stories. And that had me hooked. That had me interested with that movie. So entertainment-wise, I enjoyed Anna more than I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it more. It's not Anna's not a better movie, no, but but it was more enjoyable. And that's how I felt about. No. I, I, yeah. No. As we are in spoiler territory, the one thing, the one thing I forgot to touch on: post-credit scenes in uh, in Spider-Man: yeah. Far From Home. So yeah, I look, hate look, if you're going to have post-credit scenes, fine. Like have them tease something else. But for me, the first post-credit scene should have been the end of the film because the end was really, that first post-credit scene. I thought yep. was really, really good. Yeah, and I thought that should have been the actual end of the film because people will leave before even the first post-credit scene. That yeah. will happen. The second post-credit scene, I bemoaned. I bemoaned the fact that I can't believe that Nick Fury would have been so easily convinced by Mysterio. <laughs> I bemoaned that fact, and I bemoaned that all the way through the credits. And then there's a reveal that happens at the end of the credits that adds more context to the whole film. Don't put post-credit scenes in that actually add to the context of the film. Like, just don't do yeah, it no, because no, no, they, no, totally, both totally. of those scenes should have been part of the film. Well, I think like, you should have. I, I'm not a. I'm not a fan of post-credit sequences. I feel sorry for the ushers that have to stand there at the end of the movie and wait for everyone to leave. <laughs> I mean, you're talking 10, 15 minutes of ads and of, of 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 credits at the end of the movie. That's time you could be cleaning up and going on to the next movie. But aside from that, I don't want to sit through 10, 15 minutes for something that should have been in the film. That's my problem. Is both of these yeah. both of these post-credit scenes like if you're staying around for a silly dance or whatever, fine. But yeah. both of these post-credit scenes, especially the first one, yeah. should have been the end of the film because. Both of them, both it, of them are pretty important. Yeah, both of them are very yeah, important. Yeah, one should have been like a, yeah, yeah. A, a, a maybe a, po- a a slight post credit, and the other one should have been mid post credit. Fir- well, the, for me, the first post credit scene should have been the end of the film. Yeah, I thought, I thought that actually yeah. at the end. I thought that post credit scene actually probably raised the film up in my estimations a bit. Yeah. To be honest, because I like the end. Uh, I'm not going to spoil that here. And then yeah, this the final post credit scene should have either been in the film or immediately after the credits. Not right at the end because they're both. They, it feels like to me that they don't know what they're doing with Phase Four, so they've just cut scenes from the film and put them as post-credit scenes. Yeah, yeah. And is this the end of three or yes. the beginning of four? It's the end of three. It's the end not, of three. Now I felt really it like the beginning of. I I, yeah. I feel like this is the beginning of three. Like this is like we've watched our, our our series and we've come back and this is the episode where we gather all our friends up and start talking about what's going on and we yeah. have like a gentle introduction yeah. to the marvel universe this felt like episode one of season four or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was rather than the end of a season yeah um and yeah i and think let's be honest, i think you're that's right what marvel are doing now yeah they are doing seasons of films yeah, yeah. it is a Absolutely. tv series yeah. it's now a tv series on yeah. cinema screens it's, yeah and i just i just wanted a break I just I feel I need a break. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's fine. Go and you will you will undoubtedly have f- fun with it. And it's still so like uncolorful, aren't they? These like they're supposed to be colorful movies. They're still just washy, grey, drab. I mean, the, even when the they've Europe, got beautiful the Europe, costumes. I think the anyway. European setting helped it a little yeah. bit in terms of of piquing my interest visually, like rather than just being in London or LA again. That helped it a bit, but yeah, I'm with you. Like, I mean, just... you you look at like even the poster, the poster of the new Wonder Woman movie. That poster alone has piqued my interest for Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. I got to stop hitting the mic. <laughs> um, but it has, it's it's beautiful, colourful, mm. interesting. I want my superheroes to be colourful. Okay, yeah. So what they did with um, Justice League was appalling, but I think they had bigger issues than just a colorization yes. issue, really. But. Um, these Marvel movies, they've got a lot of issues and I think it represents itself in the, in the colour palette they choose. It, they're a bit blur, a bit bland. Mm. They're not... It's not awful. It's not awful no. at all. It's, it's not it, Justice League no. bad. It's not, no. Yeah. They're, they're, fi- they're fine. I can't get enthusiastic about it. It's hard to no, talk about they're it. They're fine. That's yeah. the problem. They're, that's they're, it, yeah. they're just fine. Yeah. So Spider-Man, it's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, right, we'll muster some enthusiasm after this break, <laughs> and then we're going to talk about Ariasta's Midsummer. Ah, uh, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're back. Midsummer is a 2019 folk horror film written and directed by Ari Aster. It stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, Wilhelm Blomgren. I apologise for not saying your name correctly. Yeah, it's quite good to be fair. And Will Poulter in a role that Will Poulter seems to be shoehorned into. And I'm really upset about that because I love Will Poulter. Please give him other roles. Can you and Nicholas Holt swap for a moment? Because quite frankly, Will, I love you. He's my man crash right okay, now. Okay. Uh, it follows basically a group of friends. Um, oh, no, let's start right at the beginning. Something tra- tragic and traumatic, devastating happens, um, which results in our main character played by Florence Pugh. Her name is, this always gets me, uh, Danny Ardor. She, um, I don't want to give it away because it's such a shock. She experiences something really traumatic and this puts her into a spin for about at least six months and during this time uh, her boyfriend was contemplating breaking up with her decides not to because of this traumatic experience but organizes a trip to sweden with his mates to a uh, commune out in the in the middle of nowhere in northern sweden and sort of half-heartedly invites her along thinking she's not going to come along but she accepts she decides that she wants to come out and uh, get out of the house and experience something new so she's invited along um and what ensues is a mind-bending wicker man-esque horrific trip of uncertainty and paranoia and of betrayal um bad trips of good trips of um it's again it's another one of these films i don't want to spoil too much of. No. like i really don't want to go too much into it I'm trying very hard not to um well, that's, it, it, it's uh, a it's a horror breakup movie i think that's i can safely yeah. say that yeah. it is it is yeah and if if we put things into context a little bit more you won't know this, but hereditary, I had severe problems. I think we talked about this uh, off mic. Um, I had problems Before with hereditary. hereditary. Let's have a clip from Midsummer. Okay, we'll get back into hereditary. So you've got this special week planned. Yeah. It's sort of a crazy festival. School! This only happens every 90 years. That sounds fun. Uh oh. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> We're not supposed to be in here. This is feeling really wrong and we need to leave. Oh, we are so very happy to have you. So, yeah, so obviously, as you've heard just before the clip, um, Hereditary is... So, yeah, let's talk about Hereditary first, because Hereditary is his first film. It's sometimes... Yeah, Yeah. let's talk about Hereditary first, because Ariasta fucking arrived on the scene with a bang with Hereditary. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I understand why people love it. I understand why people are really into it and why they're so passionate about it. Um, I've got the uh, heredi- the obligatory hereditary <laughs> this episode, by the way. So yeah, it's yeah, trying to rub my nose in it. Uh, you know what? If it was like half a t-shirt, it would be perfect. It would be a summation <laughs> of the film. Make it a crop top. It would be good. I don't know. Like, the first half would be fine. I don't know what you're doing. Basically, the first half. Two thirds of the movie is great. It's the movie I want to see. It's fantastic. It's this weird, creepy European aesthetic. It's uh, this supernatural. They said mountain dread. It the performances are fantastic, and then it becomes a run around the house slasher film, uh, which really annoyed me. But I kind of pushed that to one side as we got towards the end because then it goes back to being yeah. the European horror. Yeah, and then right at the last two minutes of the film. A voiceover comes and explains the whole film for you. Literally, I'm not even joking. Uh, here is the film. This is exactly what's been happening. And blah 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 blah. Goodbye. Thanks for watching. I'm like, fuck you, film. Fuck you. Because clearly, this man has a talent. Oh, for sure. Like Arias is damn. So I was worried. Right. I'm worried yeah, that yeah. I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, I, am yeah, I going to yeah. go into the yeah. last half or the first half of this film? Yeah. I got the first half. 
Okay. So I think that's going to piss off a lot of people because I know there's a lot of people online that love the last half. Okay. They hate the slow, unquote, unquote, beginning. But it's the, this. Uh, he knows his tone and he picks it and he deals yeah. with it. It's almost like he had to make Hereditary to prove, to get the money to make this movie. I'm, I'm kind of with you, to be honest, because this film for me, and I mean, so, yeah, like I, I, I loved all of Hereditary, I'll be honest. I don't have a problem with the voice. I don't have a problem with the voiceover personally. <gasps> and I, I liked, I did like the ending. We'll have um, to talk about Blade Runner later and find yeah. out which version you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. But no, personally, hands down, I fucking loved Hereditary. I thought it was an incredible piece of cinema. One of my favourite horror films of the last five years. It's probably okay. second to The Witch, I think, in terms of how much I liked Hereditary. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I loved Hereditary. So I went into Midsummer being very, very excited. And Florence Pugh is an actress who I would quite frankly, and I've said this before on the show, <laughs> I'd watch her take a shit. She's an incredible actress. She yeah. is brilliant, and she has got a very, very bright future ahead of her. Yep. Lady, her performance in Lady Macbeth is just incredible. Like she's great, and again, she's incredible in this film. Like without a shadow of a doubt, she's a star. Um, absolutely, yeah, she's absolutely she's, she's amazing. Superb. And the supporting cast: Jack Rayner. I've liked him in everything bar Transformers. He's he's good in uh, what Jack did. He's really good in that. If you haven't seen that, so I haven't seen that. That's that's worth a watch yeah. actually. Um, yeah, so I was incredibly excited going into Midsummer. I like I like the fact it was a it was a folk horror setting. I'm a big fan of Wicker Man. I was just like, okay, this this will be an interesting take on this. Um, overall, I, overall, I liked Midsummer a little bit less than I liked Hereditary. Oh, controversial! A little bit less than I liked, than, really? than I liked Hereditary. It's a film for me that screams I need to watch it again like, okay. without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. I really liked how well Ariester sets up an atmosphere. Like the the one of the when they're driving when they're driving to the festival and he just spins the camera <laughs> upside down and the car's yeah. driving upside down. I'm just like such a basic thing to do to, to create a sense of unease, but he does it so well. Okay, yeah. And he creates an atmosphere. It just creates this incredible sense of dread. Incredible sense of dread. Almost second to none in horror film directors working today. And he does. Do you know how he does? It? He does it with zero fucking jump scares. Yeah, yeah. Which oh, I love. You. Thank you. Which I love. Yeah. There's no jump scares yeah. in Midsummer at all. There's just creepy atmosphere. And do you know what else he does well? He does it all in fucking daylight. <laughs> he does it all in daylight. In a weird aspect ratio. Yes. Do you notice that as yes. well? Not even flat. Yes. It's yeah, just not even flat. It's just a three-two weird... thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. His technical nows as a filmmaker is incredible. Like he's he's got an eye. He's got an eye for horror. There's no, there's yeah. no doubt he has. Um, to say that I liked Hereditary more doesn't mean to say that I didn't like Midsummer because I did like Midsummer okay. a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm still processing to be honest. Okay. I'm still processing yeah, because yeah. when I went to see Hereditary, there were people laughing at inappropriate moments because I don't think there was any commentary, any comedy in, in Hereditary inherently in the script. I think no. people were just uncomfortably laughing in the cinema. Where there is inherent comedy in Midsummer, personally. Yeah. I thought this was definitely deliberately stages of black comedy and having a double checked and I was just like, no, I was right to laugh at these points. Yeah. That is where I struggle slightly with this film. I like the fact he's played it for black comedy, but at the same time, I feel like that occasionally when you start laughing, when I think you are meant to laugh, it broke some of the atmosphere for me a little bit. Okay, yeah, I can... See, I'm from... My mum's hippie from way back, so... A lot of this movie pushed a lot of my buttons. This is like, why don't I go into festivals? This is everything I fear of, like going to Glastonbury or Green Gathering or any of those festivals. This I mean, is, they're not that bad. Like, I've, I, I've I, I don't know. I, I, I'll never, I'll never go. I'll ne- like, I've been to Glastonbury, and I was, I was glad I came back with my scalp. But like, yeah, there's something about it. It, it pushed all of my buttons and did it in a very appropriate manner, and. It wasn't easy to go through. It was a chore, but a chore in a good way. It was like he was stretching a rubber band. I think Tarantino talks about about that opening scene in uh, Inglorious Bastard, where he just likes to stretch the band oh, and okay. stretch it again and stretch it again until it's almost ready to snap. But like Ari Aster's done this over a whole movie, which I thought was amazing. I would, I would agree with that, and I think it, it's weird because part of me likes the fact it was two hours 20 minutes a big part of me does because mm. it gives you more time with the characters and i like the fact it was it was it felt like a patient film like it, yeah it felt like it was it was taking it was a relentless with, with, with good That's, reason yeah. but there were times for me when i just thought I, I would have liked it maybe eight or ten minutes just a touch shorter i think 
yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's again, yeah. that's not just none of yeah, this yeah. to say I didn't like it because I really, really, really liked it. I mean, there are horrific moments. There, there are a number of truly horrific scenes. Yeah, and the way that they're played, like you know what's coming up, and the fact that you have to sit through it, knowing full well what's coming up, and then it's well, delivered. The clue apparently and, is oh. in, the clue is in the uh, is in the tapestry. So if you watch it again, apparently the tapestry. Oh you yes, watch the tapestry, yeah, yeah. The whole film is in the whole, that tapestry. The whole film. Apparently so, from what I was reading. Oh, um, I, I haven't seen it twice, but yeah. So I, apparently I, the clue I caught, is in the tapestry. I caught the story between two characters in there. Yeah, which I think was very deliberate. But I have to go back and watch the whole thing. But yeah, it's just it's disturbing in a good way. It does have touches of Wicker Man. I think is it is valid. Uh, Apostle it, as well. We were talking about Apostle. Apostle like, uh, I would wager he's seen. He's definitely seen uh, yeah. Gareth. So Gareth Evans directed the Raid director's Apostle, which is I meant. Okay. I to mention that earlier. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I took right. the, the shades of that. There's, yeah, there's definitely his inspiration. He's definitely wearing his inspiration on his sleeve. Yeah, the ritual. I felt like there were shades of ritual in that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, this is another film I really liked actually. That, yeah, another another really good film. Yeah, I really. I, I know it's a completely different film, but it had the same sort of mounting dread or uh, like oppressiveness. And I know uh, by saying that, I'm not selling the film that uh, Don't Look Now has. Do you know? It's like yes. the, the, the amount of sadness. It's, Actually, it's very that... rare for a horror film to have sadness oh, in it. Do you yes. know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. It has exactly that level of, yeah. And yeah. I think it, uh, yeah, because it has that level of that yeah. level of dealing with grief in it. But, There's just that whole, and you it's just got a mood it, to it. It's just, There's a mood to it. It's which not is, afraid of it. Which is where I became, and the more I think about it, where I'm just like, oh, did he need to play the comedy moments? Which, don't get me wrong, yeah. are funny. But for me, it kind of, those, those comedy moments. Yeah, totally kind of broke that broke the atmosphere for me whereas in hereditary i was in it was bleak and yeah. i came out just feeling like i needed yeah. a wash yeah. whereas this i came out enjoying but the comedy moments kind of uh bathos, bathos. <laughs> that's so a word of the day ladies and gentlemen which, bathos. Which if you follow us on twitter <laughs> is from uh, a youtube video that i watched recently mm. talking about star wars lost jedi but yeah for me that, that it mm. just it it broke. It broke the sense of dread. Dropped a comedy, and then yeah. don't get me wrong. It still yeah. maintained an atmosphere, but I don't know yeah, whether I, I like the fact it played it for comedy. I, d- I didn't. Personally. I, d- I didn't feel like the, the the funny moments were quite. They were nowhere near like Last Jedi. Like, no. <laughs> like, like no, not that jar snapping neck no, that's cracking right, yeah. uh, difference in style. I thought the comedy was appropriate. For, for that and it was uh and it uh, in many ways the same as uh in in fabric it was uncomfortable yeah it wasn't uncomfortable i think that's part of the part of the process that you are laughing and you get to a certain point of the movie where you're laughing at these things and then realize that maybe you shouldn't be laughing yeah um there's a there's a a great film way back in the day that did that called man bites dog I remember. Have yes, you seen Man, Man by Dark? Yeah. So, like the, 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 the oh, ultimate black oh, comedy. <laughs> fabulous! If anyone doesn't know, it's a it's a a film about a documentary crew uh, filming a, a serial killer who's a postman, and that's how he goes about killing people. And the first half of the movie is funny as hell. Yeah. And there's a point in the movie where it just handbrakes and goes, "Yeah, no, you shouldn't be laughing at this. This is this is horrible." And then it, I, I felt like the movie was doing little. Little bits of that, little tweaks okay. of that. As long as you're laughing at something and you're going, yeah, no, you no, shouldn't be laughing no. at this. No, you should be. You should. You should be getting the fuck out of there. Yeah, definitely. And again, like so many horror films, people do stupid things. In this movie, there's reasons why people. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. Don't do the thing that you think. Like when you're thinking, oh, you should go and do this. Yeah. Because you're in this kind of situation. There's a reason for it. And it's a perfectly ex, explain. Uh, it's a good re. It's, it's a good reason. It's, it's mo- a well are, thought out. There are motivations yeah. for characters to do stupid things in this film. That's it. Yes. Um, and they and the motivations make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, to, to, so basically, two, two of the characters are studying, are studying um, pagan religion. Pagan and, religion. And, so it makes sense yeah. for them to hang around and yeah. go when 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 it all gets when shit goes bonkers. When which everyone should run away, when which everyone, everyone starts away, running yeah. away. But there are there are motivations yeah. for characters to stay, which actually helps. Yeah, which which really really helps. And they're not given um, long to to dwell on that because no. other stuff starts happening. Yeah, um, yeah. For 
I was very happy in a weird, twisted, messed up way. <laughs> I had a nightmare. I, like, I actually dreamt about this movie and uncomfortably woke up in the middle of the night, walked around the house and made myself a cup of tea. And it's been a very long time since the film's given me yeah, I though, think, that level of dread. Yeah, like for me, not as good as Hereditary, but that's not to say I didn't like it. I think for me, Ari Aster, one of the finest horror filmmakers working today, he's proven that with his second film. No question. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, he builds an atmosphere in a way that I haven't seen. People, I've actually, I've, I've read this compared to Texas Chainsaw Massacre in terms of the way it builds its atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I, I think Water, I, I, I think. I think don't look, don't look now is a better yeah, comparison yeah, for I sure because I'm, Ari... I'm totally with you on don't look now because yeah. that just has an impending sense of sadness. Yeah, and if it wasn't for the slight comedy moments kind of taking me out of that, but that's not to say they didn't work because they are funny. Yeah, completely. Like it is a film ultimately about grief and loss. Like and like the yeah. the final the closing scenes like with Florence Pugh <sighs> in the with Florence Pugh in the entirely floral yeah. dress. It's not a spoiler. Well, it is a spoiler that happens, but I'm not going to give you the context of it. But it's just <laughs> it's such an and but also. His technical ability as a filmmaker is yeah. incredible. Like this film, looks everything fantastic. is so precise. Yeah. And and I hope it is. This is actually a watershed moment. I hope that this. I hope it doesn't become like a cliche in horror. But I feel like this might be a turning point that people that are making horror, Blumhouse, talking to you, <laughs> that you realise because in Blumhouse's defence, they do actually make the occasional really interesting film. Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. Yeah. Um, I like the gift. I like the I gift. The gift is really good. It's really good. Yeah, film. no, in fairness, yeah, because a lot of times I look yeah. at Bloomhouse and go, no, "I'm not fucking watching that." Exactly. And then you go, exactly. "Oh no, but no, the gift was great." I Happy even have a soft spot for the first purge. I really do like the first purge. I don't dislike the first purge, but yeah, but because it's a similar budget, they have very, very similar budgets. Um, I think this was nine million. Blumhouse, the stuff are usually five to ten million, right, okay. so they're in the same sort of wheelhouse. What they've done with the same budget is head and shoulders yeah. above. Yeah, what they've done, and I realise this is a con- constrained single location for much of the for much of the movie, but that goes to show what you can do with a really good tight script, yes. something well directed, well shot. The sound—I haven't even spoken about the sound, yeah, the, the, the soundtrack, and yeah. the way the sound melds into the soundtrack. Well, and, 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 oh my the soundtrack, god! Which is, is a good friend of mine. If you're listening, Gary. Massively into his music, he was just like, "Oh my god, Hacks and Cloak did the soundtrack." <laughs> it meant nothing to me, but apparently, Hacks and Cloak very well, well. regarded, deservedly very well regarded. So, yeah, yeah, just the way that the that the, the music distorts to the point where you can't hear what's going on at, yeah. at some points, and and the fact that it is at some points the music's diegetic and sometimes it's not, and it just it just blur everything's just blurred all the lines are blurred and i just hope that this is a this is a message to filmmakers in general that you can make something that's smart that's clever that's intelligent that's slow and patient and deliberate yeah uh and i atmosphere and people go and see this movie all about atmosphere yeah yeah it's yeah it's a great film it is yeah really really well put together right well that's pretty much it um, I'm kind wow. of sad this is over to be honest wow, that went, that wanna, went all right I, I, wanna, I, was, I, I just want to yeah. keep chatting we're going to go to the pub uh, and in the meantime you can find out more from Strangers Cinema at Strangers Cinema on Twitter Strangers Cinema on Instagram and Facebook uh, Zig Babylon Undead where can you find that you can see find Babylon Undead at uh, www.babylonundead.video.blog um, and if we get some more subscribers, I will come up with a much better <laughs> a tagline for our channel. But we need Twitter? to go. Can we find you on Twitter? Uh, or you can find me on Twitter. Actually, if you Twitter? just Google Zig Bingham, I'm everywhere. I am the only <laughs> Zig Bingham in the world, apart from a dog in Australia. Uh, and that's a story for another day. I don't know why that... anyone would name them uh, a dog. Fair Zig. enough. On that note, uh, we've been Strangers in Cinema. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for having me. Shut up and sit down.